I want to tell you about an absolute legend of Birmingham, Ken. I want to tell you about Ken, okay? Ken is my next door neighbor. Uh, And Ken is the sort of guy you want to end up living by. He's a serious legend, okay? Uh, He's a retired guy, a true brummy, and along with him and his wife, Rita, they have been wonderful neighbors to us. Uh, The first thing they did when they heard that the house had been sold, we have an adjoining house to them, was that they were terrified that we would be raving party animals. And so they soundproofed all of the adjoining walls of their house. Um... And obviously, we are proper ravers, um, uh, and yet they don't hear us, and we don't hear them, and our children cry, and we don't feel insecure, because we know that Ken and Rita, they can't hear a thing. So that's wonderful. That's one great thing about Ken. Another great thing about Ken, you want to live next to Ken. Ken's great. Uh, Ken noticed that my uh, fence had broken, and uh, knocked on the door and said, Rich, I don't know if you've noticed, your fence is broken. I obviously hadn't noticed. And he said, I will come over on Saturday and help you fix your fence. And I said, Ken, lifesaver. Thanks very much. What time are you going to come? About nine. So I'm up on Saturday morning at about nine. I'm waiting for the knock on the door. I'm waiting for him to come. Half nine, ten. And I think, ah, this is unlike Ken, but he seems to have pulled out. But never mind. So I go to my kettle, turn the kettle on to make myself a cup of tea. I look into my garden at said fence. There is Ken in my garden, fixing the fence. I go out, Ken, how long have you been here? Oh, since about half eight. Uh, He'd just been fixing the fence, wondering why I hadn't joined him. Uh, We then did that together. And when I say together, I put my foot on the ladder and he fixed the fence for about four hours. And he just said, anytime, no worries, all good. And that isn't even what I wanted to tell you about Ken. And that's not the best thing about Ken. The coolest thing about Ken is that he built our house. And not only did he build our house, he built our house, his house, and six other houses on our road in his spare time, in the evenings, after he'd finished his day job, for years, him and some friends, they'd, they'd like got an arrangement with the land owner or something, Bourneville stuff, and they come, and they built the houses together, and uh, it's amazing listening to him tell that story of this land that was kind of empty, and then through lots of hard work, just slowly but surely, these houses began to rise up, and we would never have known that story, but now he has uh, not simply built a house, but now he's provided our family with a home and a place to call our own, and a a shelter, and a rest, and a refuge, and a place for joy, and uh, arguments, and and mostly joy. It's been an amazing thing, and we're hugely grateful to Ken for his work, because we love our home. But underneath kind of the walls, and the, the, the windows, and the roof, and all of these things that he put together, there was something even more important than any of that, that we never think about, but had he not done this, then our house would never become the home that has provided us with safety and refuge and joy. What did he do? He laid foundations. He laid foundations. Foundations are things that you cannot see, but they are essential to the health and any future joy that can happen in a home. All the best plans in the world for people to move in and find a home would have come to nothing if Ken hadn't first laid deep and strong foundations. Now, moving from the story of my house to 
the Bible and stuff. Uh, in the Bible, uh, one of the Apostle Paul's favorite descriptions of a church is of a house or a household or the house of God. And therefore, whenever he talks about beginning new churches, he talks about it as a time of laying foundations, getting things in that will enable the house to be strong and pave the way for that house of God to become a home to many, a place of refuge and rest like we've just been hearing about to many. And I'm saying all of this because uh, a few short weeks ago, this here thing called Church Central South had this morning, uh, now everyone's looking for a picture of themselves, where we became not a site of Church Central, but a church in our own right. Some of my favorite things on these photographs, just to point out, James Ashley on the left, the YMCA, very good. Um, What I loved is Caddy and Laura thinking they were safe on the back row. And then horrified that it suddenly it was the front row uh, as they kind of live at large there. Rich Price, good motion on the hand there on the left. Uh, Rex Meller, sort of ascending to heaven on the right there, if you see. Sort of a cross between a pop star and a superhero. Uh, wonderful stuff. So it was a great morning and there was uh, leaders were appointed uh, over the church. And there was a confetti cannon, which was surprising, not least to Nathan, who I think needed to clean up after that. Um, it was a great morning. As we became a church in our own right, this thing here, this family, is now a local church. Now, in all this talk of kind of laying foundations, of course, there is no sense at all of scrapping what has gone before or pretending like this thing just emerged on that day. It didn't. Uh, Since 1996, when Jonathan and Helen first moved here, Uh, There's been all this wonderful stuff, and God's been growing us and bringing us to this point. But even though we honor what has been and led us to here, in us becoming a local church, there is a moment of newness for us as Church Central South. There's a a moment with new possibilities, new opportunities, uh, a new chapter, a new future together in this house that we want to become a home to many for refuge and safety and joy. And so because of this, at this moment as a team, we wanted, instead of just rushing into our future, we wanted to have a time of foundations where we speak into some of the essential uh, weight-bearing truths that are going to stand Church Central South strong. Uh, And whether you are new today to this church family, welcome, great to have you, Uh, whether you're new today or whether you have been here since 1996, This little series, Foundations, is an opportunity for each of us to ask these sorts of questions. What does it really mean to belong to this church family? What is this local church all about? Is this a community from now into the future that I want to give myself to? What would it look like to really belong in this local church family? You could say it's going to function a little bit like a membership course, which sounds administrative and dull, but put your hand up if you've ever in this kind of church, central churches, or in another church in your life, been part of a membership course. Just put your hand up. I have. It took me a long time to get around to it, but I did go eventually. Okay, so some of you know what I'm talking about. Essentially, there's this idea in the Bible that... uh, 
Do you want to know what you can expect from the community that you put yourself in? And, uh, and, and so the Bible speaks of membership in a local church where you don't sort of, sort of stay, oh, maybe I'm in, maybe I'm not. But actually, you deliberately take a moment where you say, yes, it's not perfect. I'm not perfect. The guy with the mic's not perfect. But yes, I'm going to belong to this local church. And uh, at the end of this term, little drum roll from you, thank you, uh, there is going to be an opportunity for everyone to say yes or no uh, and opt in, if you wish, to become a member of Church Central South. Because uh, where you've been a member of Church Central before, actually, as we start as a church in our own right, we're going to do membership. And so this kind of preaching series is going to function as uh, us kind of setting out a little bit of what this church is about, a little bit about what you can expect from this church, and then at the end of the term, logistics to follow, because there's like 170 of you, um, we're going to have the chance to kind of meet with the leaders and ask your questions and then say, yes, you know what, for this period of my life, I am in, in this community, let's go for it. Let's make this house a home for many in our city together, where they can find refuge and strength and joy together. So that's what this series is, Foundations, a bit of a kind of uh, look into what we're going to be about as a church. Uh, and today, uh, I want us to look at the foundation, losing my building analogy here, the foundation of all the foundations, the, the super foundation, that everything that we are as individuals and as a church must be built on. I want us to look at the gospel. I want us to take a look, perhaps for the first time, or perhaps for the millionth, at the good news of God saving his people. And that uh, really, I guess there could be a couple of responses just to tip you off. There's going to be a moment to respond at the end. It may be that you're hearing this, and for the first time you go, wow, there's good news. I didn't know that. Oh, this is wonderful. Or it may be that you know this news already. I think God wants to today do something he promises to do all the way through the Bible. He wants to bring the joy of our salvation back to us. The goodness of the good news. He wants to come to you again and let your heart go, yes, I am so glad that I know this God. I hope that's what he's going to do. That's what I've asked him to do. Was there a woo? Johnny, thank you. Me and Johnny think he's going to do that. So there we go. So let's look at this passage of the Bible, Ephesians 1, one of the great passages of Scripture. Uh, and I'm going to read it. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. 
He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. What plan, I hear you ask? And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, so Paul who is writing, is a Jewish convert to Christianity. So we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. Final slide. And now you Gentiles, that is non-Jewish, and I suspect most of us in terms of our background, now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, the gospel that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Now, that passage of the Bible could do 10 years on its own. And I just want us to see three things in 25 minutes about this good news. What's the gospel? What's Christianity all about? What must this church be all about? Point number one, the good news that the Father adopts us. The Father adopts us. I don't know what you think of when you think of God. God, what are you thinking? And that is really the most important thing about you, what you think of when you think of God. And there would be many different visions through the centuries. But Paul tells us really clearly in verse 3. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's God? God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is this scandalous wonderful, stunning, unsettling, terrifying, in a beautifully rich and deep and scandalous truth that God, according to the Bible, is a father. Christians believe God is father. That at the center of the universe, beyond the horizon and up into the expanse of everything, there is no tyrant There is no mere creator, though he creates. There is no mere power, though he's powerful. There's no mere big, strong God in heaven, though there's a big, strong God in heaven. There's no heavenly head teacher tutting from on high. There is at the center of everything a loving father, the one Jesus of Nazareth lovingly called Papa. Now, my dad is... Uh, a wonderful man. I think that my dad has given me one of the greatest gifts it's possible to give a human being on this planet, which is that when I hear that God is a father, the way that that has looked for me in my house makes my heart 
beat with joy. God's a father. That's wonderful. That's great news. That's astonishing news. And I know that's not the case for many in the room. Uh, I know that one of the most painful things for a human being on this planet is when a relationship with father goes south for different reasons, whatever reasons, whatever that has looked like. And it can be therefore very hard to hear, um, you're a good, good father. How deep the father's love for us. Maybe feel like you can't get away from this flipping word. (laughs) And now I'm doing it as well. But if you feel tempted to resist the notion of God as father, I want to speak directly to your heart in this moment and tell you that this truth is not bad news for you. This truth is very, 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 very good news for you. You are not to judge God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ by your dad. You don't have to do that. It's not like God is like your dad. (laughs) It's not what it means. It's that your dad was meant to reflect this heavenly father and likely has fallen painfully short. But you don't write off the father because of that. Please. Has anybody, put your hand up, ever heard a bad song? I've heard some bad songs. I'm a huge Coldplay fan, so I've heard many. Okay. But when you hear a bad song, do you write off music? No. Because music is beautiful. And music makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. And gives you this sense of joy that you never knew you could have just from hearing someone play a cello. And it wells up inside you. And you think, I don't even know what I'm feeling, but I'm feeling something more than I was five minutes ago because there's a cello. And it just wells up and it brings you this joy because music is wonderful. It makes you happy. It makes you sad in a way that makes you happy. It's wonderful. And then there are bad songs But don't write off music. The Father is wonderful. He's generous. He's kind. He's powerful. He's protector. He's provider. He'll never leave you. He never uses you. He never turns you away. He makes the hairs on the back of our neck stand up. He makes us happy. He makes us sad in a way that makes us happy. He makes us feel things we didn't know we were going to feel. Don't reject the music of the Father because of a bad song, right? There is good news. God is a Father, a wonderful Father. And for all eternity, forever and a day in the past, this Father has been utterly captivated with his Son, his boy, the one he loves, So much so that he couldn't keep this love to himself. This is too good. It's too good. I love you, son. Then we've got to share this thing. And so they spill out and create the cosmos and you. And you are not created because God is lonely and needed you. You're created because God is lovely and love. And he wanted you to share in his love. And so he creates the world and everyone in our city and everyone in Beirut and everyone on your campus and everyone you know and you 
to share in the eternal love of the Father and the Son. And then you will not believe what happens. Adam and Eve, which those words mean human and life, that's what Adam and Eve mean. So representative of all human life, Adam and Eve walk away from this father. And they say, no, we will do it on our own. We're okay. Your protector will protect ourselves. Your provider will provide for ourselves. And, and, and representative of all of us and what all of us have done is we walk away from the father. There is this huge gulf between us. We become now in a terrible place to be far away from this father. Estranged. The Bible uses this language, alienated. Distance between us and the father. But here's the good news. Even as we walk away, even as we show no love to him by rejecting him, he could not stop loving us. And he is so good and so moved by holy, generous love that this father says, even though you've walked out of the family home, even though you've shamed me, even though you thought that you could do it on your own, I love you and I will adopt you back in to my family. I will bring you back into the family home to be mine again, says the father. Verse 5 puts it like this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us back to himself. Now, if you struggle to feel the joy of this, the depth of this, the wonder of this, as this is water off a duck's back to you, uh, Paul tells us three things about this adoption that I think are intended to bring us much joy. Firstly, he says that God planned to adopt you. He planned to adopt you. It says in verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. I don't know who recently hasn't loved you. I don't know who recently hasn't chosen you. But the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, before everything, loved you and chose you. Before you did anything bad, before, I think more amazingly, you did anything good, he loved you, he chose you. He factored in your mistakes, your sin, your weaknesses, your pride. He knew he's God, he knew. And yet he made you. Even though he knew you'd walk away because he loved you and wanted you back in his family. He knew you were going to make mistakes, but he loved you. He knew you were going to make a mess of things. But he says, you are my mess. I choose you and you are mine. I love you. He planned. Before it all, he planned to adopt you. You say, poor God. Poor God has to hang out with, with people like us. I mean, it's kind of his duty because he's God, but it can't be much fun for him. Second thing Paul says, he wanted 
to adopt you. Verse 5, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I don't know recently who hasn't wanted you, but the Father wants you. It says he is pleased to have you come back to him. He was pleased to have you near to him. He wants you near to him. He prefers having you with him than not having you with him. He's inclined to you, not because you're amazing, but because he is amazing. There's another moment in the Bible where we hear this idea of a father God having pleasure. And it's at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus goes down into the water. He comes back up. A voice rings out like peeling back the curtain of what's been happening for all eternity. The father speaks. This is my son. I love him. In him I am well pleased. Another way you could say that. He brings me great pleasure. In him, the father says, I have pleasure. And now Paul says that when you come back to God... That same pleasure that has existed for all eternity between father and son. The father looks at you and now he has pleasure in you. That's the gospel. And you say, no way, Rich. No way. Too good to be true. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm like. You don't know what I feel. I'm not good enough. The third thing Paul says about this. He said that the Father adopts you by grace. Verse 6, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us. Grace, Bible word, means undeserved kindness. Undeserved kindness. Which means it is linguistically and spiritually impossible to deserve grace. That doesn't make sense. Now, there's a humbling thing here. It means everyone in this room, I'm sorry to tell you this, you could never earn this adoption. You could never earn this love. There's not been a day of your life where you've been good enough to earn this love. Sorry to tell you. There'll never be a day in this life where you'll be good enough to earn this love. But it brings us great news as well. Because there is, I'm very pleased to tell you, never a day in your life when you have to be good enough to have this love, where you have to become more holy, more righteous, more progressing in the Christian thing to earn the love of God. You could never earn the love of God. He gives it as a gift of grace. He adopts us as his children by grace. As Jonathan likes to tell us, we are not chosen because we are special. We are special because we are chosen by the Father, by grace. My relationship, your relationship if you're a Christian, and your relationship with God if you become a Christian today does not have to be locked in to the heights of your achievements or the lows of your failings. His grace covers my highest achievements, my highest successes, and my most scandalous, inexplicable failings. And all of them are fully accounted for in advance by the Father who said, I will still make you and I still love you and I want you as mine. The Father adopts us. And if you're here and you don't know if you are part of this family, you don't know if you are 
someone who has been brought back by the Father. You don't know if that, that gap has been closed. Let me tell you this. I'm not going to rush you today to come back to God. But I promise you this, there is nothing on God's side that will stop him wanting to adopt you. And there's nothing in your past, your present, or your future on your side that could stop him adopting you, except if you refuse to come. But if you say, yes, Father, I want to come back to you. I want to be in your family. I want to follow you. He adopts you by grace. If that's you and you feel maybe today God is speaking to you for the first time and it's landing in your heart and you're saying, I want to come back to this father, there will be a moment at the end of this talk where I invite you to do that. So firstly, after 28 minutes, the father adopts you. But how? How does this work? How can people who've messed up emotionally, financially, with substances, with relationships, with pride, with sin of many public and private varieties, come to a holy, spotless, eternal, pure, righteous God? Surely, he would have to deal with our mess. Surely he would have to punish our mess. Surely we'd have to somehow pay for our mess-ups. And there are mess-ups in our stories. They do need paying for. They do need punishing. We cannot come to God in our mess and in our sin on our own. We can't come to a holy, radiant, spotless, pure, good God thinking that he'll just ignore all the wrong things we've done and sweep them under the carpet. If a local judge did that and heard of a crime and said, it's all right, don't worry about it, there would be outrage rightly. And so, of course, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ isn't going to do that. And so we, in and of ourselves, are desperately in need of saving, of rescue, a solution to this problem. If we stay far from God, because he is the God of life and light and love, what do you have if you're far away from life? Death. What do you have if you're far away from love? What do you have if you're far away from light? Darkness. And if that goes on into eternity, then we need a rescue. And our city needs a rescue. But there's a rescue. Number two, the good news is that the sun dies for us. Verse 7, the Father is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. Yes, we all have baggage. Yes, we all have mess. Yes, we all have sin. 
that stands between us and God. But we do not have to bear the guilt or the shame or the punishment for our mess-ups anymore because Jesus, the Son of God, said, I will take the guilt, I will take the shame, I'll take the punishment so that they don't have to. And the Father puts the punishment for our mistakes and our mess-ups and our sin onto Jesus on the cross. And Jesus, not having his arm twisted, but willingly, joyfully, courageously, valiantly says, I will do it, Father. I will go to the cross and I will take their place. It is the greatest swap that has ever occurred. It's a little bit like a wedding. Uh, At a wedding, if you've been to a wedding, perhaps a Christian wedding, you may have heard these words, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And then vice versa. And at my wedding, I imagine, various people use this illustration, but I imagine there was a little chuckle because I had just finished a voluntary year as a, in a charity with no income and I boldly promised Ruth, all I have, I give to you. And everyone's like, okay, that's not a lot. And Ruth, freshly out of med school, said to me, all that I have, I share with you. And I thought, get in. (laughs) It's this swap where everything that's mine becomes hers, and everything that's hers becomes mine, because we're now together. And it's like Jesus on the cross, we say to him, all that I have, I give to you. All my mess, all my guilt, all my mistakes, all my regret, I give it to you. All that I am, I share with you. And Jesus dies and pays it off on the cross. He goes down into the grave, having shouted, it is finished. And he rises up from the grave and risen, proving that the Father had dealt with it, had dealt with it for all time. Jesus now says to us, now all that I am, I give to you. Now that all all that I have, I share with you. My Father your father, my spirit, your spirit, my future, your future, my righteousness, your righteousness. All that I am, I give to you. And all you have to do to get this, to get him. Verse 13, when you believed in Christ, when you simply turn and you say, yes, I want in, I want in. I've got all my mess. I give it to you, Jesus. I believe. And at that moment, we become adopted by the Father forever. It's the good news. But it doesn't even stop there. It would be good enough if the Father up there adopted us and the Son back then died for us. But God wanted to do something even more. Number three, the good news is that the Spirit is given to us. Verse 13, he identified you as his own. How? By giving you the Holy Spirit. It is not simply God up there. It is not simply Jesus back then. Now, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, it is God in me right now. Because the Holy Spirit is given to us. God's Spirit, his presence comes to us when we turn to Christ and lives in us. So that whenever we are 
isolated from friends, family, perhaps for following Christ, God is in us and with us. When it is tough to live this Christian life, to live in light of the gospel, God is with us, empowering us. When decisions about being godly are hard, it isn't good enough to have God up there and Jesus back then. I have the spirit in me now giving me power to live for him. At work, at home, on a mountaintop, in a valley, God the Father says, here is yet another gift, the gift of my spirit to live in you. And as we relate to him, or as the Bible, the New Testament always talks like this about being filled with the Spirit, it's very often present tense. It's like, keep being filled with the Spirit. Go on being filled with the Spirit. Always be filled with the Spirit. And as we relate to him and go on being filled with him, we experience the truths of this good news dropping from our heads to our hearts. We experience joy all the way through Acts, full of the Spirit and joy. We experience courage to send us out into this world with the good news of a father who adopts. And it gives us power, power for acts of faith, power for the Christian life. Now, I recognize the role of the Holy Spirit in the church can be, for those who like to think about these things, something of a bit of a head scratcher, and we can have differences of opinion, particularly those of us who have come to Church Central from different church backgrounds. I recognize that. But one of the things that I absolutely love about this church, about Church Central South, is that if the Holy Spirit is described as a gift to us from the Father, then we receive him gladly. We take everything he's got We crave his presence. We pursue his presence. We pursue not just the fruit of the Spirit in our character, but the gifts of the Spirit in our church, even the weird ones. (laughs) Because he isn't an awkward add-on to the Christian life. He's God the Spirit gifted to us by the Father, the generous Father, shared with us by Jesus, all that I have I give to you, my Spirit. And so I love that in this church, and we stumble and fall with it, and we're all new to it, and we're all learning. But we say, this is, this is non-negotiable for us. We want to pursue the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have questions and you uh, want to ask those, you can come and ask those questions. Uh, I, to be honest, still sometimes come up against little things in the Bible. I think, how does this fit together? Or when it's a particularly awkward spiritual gift that I use, and I think, what's going on here? I want to encourage you to ask your questions in the church. And if you're a reader, I want to flag this up. On Thursday, uh, this book, um, The Spirit-Filled Church, was £3.14 on Amazon. And this is a beautiful little book from the founder of our family of churches, New Frontiers, uh, Terry Virgo, who speaks into how does the Holy Spirit, uh, how is he to be received in the church? I want to just flag that up. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is not primarily a topic to get bogged down in (laughs) or a question to puzzle over. He is a person to enjoy. And so in a moment, we're going to do that. And I want to flag up that tonight at our prayer meeting, we're very deliberately going to think through, have a little bit of input, and then go for praying in the Spirit. Go on being filled with the Spirit. We want to, however much experience you have of that, want to provide a safe context to say, not 
Let's all think about it with our textbooks. But spirit, I want you in my life. That's tonight. I want to flag that up for you. There we go. And now I want to ask you, how do you respond? What is your next step? In lots of our foundations talks, we're going to very clearly have this. We're going to have a, what does it look like for you to, to, to say yes and move deeper in the truth that we've been talking about? And I've got some things to just flag up. Firstly, it may be for you that your next step is that you become a Christian. If you are here and you've been around our community for a little while, <laughs> you probably know this looking around. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to know all the answers. <laughs> if you want in on Jesus, you want him to bring you to the Father, you can do that today. And it's a journey, but it's a journey that can start today. If that's you, in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to pray to God just in your heart and come home to the Father. Secondly, I've not had time to talk about this, but uh, I want to just flag up the concept of baptism, uh, water baptism. Uh, one of the things all the way through the New Testament, how you visibly respond to the good news is you say, I want to be baptized, where you go down into the water to visualize your old self is gone and the new you adopted by God wants to live for him. And I just want to flag up, if you haven't been baptized in water, you're a Christian, you haven't been baptized, there's going to be an opportunity on the date that is on the next slide that I can't remember, the 5th of April. Uh, we're gonna, we, we've hired the swimming pool and uh, it would bring my heart much joy to see you declare publicly that you are in on this thing, that you love this Jesus. Not that you've got it all together, but you want in and you're going to publicly show it in baptism. If you have questions about that and you want to flag up, I'm interested in that, please come and speak to me or someone else, a life group leader or someone in the church. Uh, it'd be wonderful to celebrate on that day with you. And then lastly, you may want to respond simply by being filled or filled again with the Spirit. You may be a Christian, and, uh, and I believe all Christians have the Spirit. The Spirit brings us new birth. But the Bible speaks very regularly about an experience of the fullness of the Spirit that brings joy and courage and power. And it may be that you think your Christian life has never had any joy, courage, or power. Today, I want to pray for you that you'd be filled with the Spirit. It may be that you have been filled with the Spirit many times. Today, <laughs> go on being filled with the Spirit. Go on being filled from, with the Spirit. You know, it's the Spirit of God who drops it from our head to our heart and brings us joy. So if you feel you know this stuff, but there's no joy, I want you to be filled again with the Spirit. If you found it impossibly difficult to hear me talk about Father, the Bible says it's by the Spirit that we cry, Father. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to come to you today and help you believe the good news that God is Father. Be filled again with the Spirit. There's some potential responses.